When was the last time you laughed? I mean really laughed. I don't like mean some quiet little light-hearted chuckle, you know. I mean a real belly laugh, really funny. Just because something's funny, welling up from right inside you, you know, it can be quite embarrassing, can't it? When you really, when it really gets a grip and you really laugh. When my daughter Grace was, ooh, a very little girl, we used to call her the Rippling Brook because she's had such a delightful and infectious laugh. It seemed to well up from within her and overflow to the world around. And I remember particularly once when we were on holiday in a restaurant full of strangers. Um, she, she started, she was in a high chair in the middle of this place, and she started chuckling and chuckling. And she got louder and louder. And the table next to us turned round and had a look and started chuckling too. And the table behind us joined in, and the table over there joined in, until virtually the whole place was laughing. None of us knew why, but at the centre of it all was this little toddler with her infectious laugh. We still tease her about it today. And of course, that made her laugh more. And um, yeah, she loved it. I suspect she still would. Um, In contrast... I've been reading um, some of the work of John Stott, who most of you will know. He's a famous, well-known contemporary theologian. Um, And he describes himself, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, I'm one of those cold fish called an Englishman. Shy, reserved, and buttoned up. Taught self-fortitude and self-discipline, not an emotion in sight. Brought up the old-fashioned way with a stiff upper lip. Weeping was certainly not for boys, and absolutely not for men. Is that you, I wonder? Some people, men and women, prefer not to show any emotion. They prefer it when emotion is certainly not shown and best not felt, really. Believing that emotions are something to be tightly controlled and avoided if possible. Maybe you're one of those people. However, John Stott, having described himself as having brought up as emotionally bland, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, but then I was introduced to Jesus. I learnt to my astonishment that God, whose impassibility I thought meant that he was incapable of emotion, speaks in human terms of his burning anger and vulnerable love. I discovered too that Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect human being, was no tight-lipped emotional ascetic. On the contrary, I read that he turned on hypocrites with anger, looked on a rich young ruler and loved him, could both rejoice in spirit and sweat drops of blood in spiritual agony, was constantly moved with compassion, and even burst into tears twice in public. Imagine that. In preparation for this morning, I've read widely on the subject of emotion and spirituality. And this man, who described himself as tight-lipped and having no emotion at one time, and then met Jesus and had his emotion transformed, is one of the warmest and deepest writers on this subject, which I guess shows how far one can travel. Jesus, in emotions as in everything, is our model. We can see from looking at his life that that our emotions are not to be suppressed, since they have an essential place in our makeup and in fulfilling our likeness to God. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Jesus was 
emotional. First, I'm going to take you on a whistle-stop tour of the, the occasions where, some of the occasions when Jesus showed emotion. And then, that will be very quick and a very much an overview. I mean, I think really we could have a sermon on each of those events. So it will be a whistle-stop tour. And then we'll consider what it means today for us in terms of our own spiritual growth and mental health. What does his example mean for us? So, emotional Jesus. Here we go. In John 15, 9 to 12, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be complete. My my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is a wonderful thing. So Jesus speaks of his joy in his relationship with the Father and with us, and he longs for us to know that same joy. And we're going to talk, I'm going to come back and talk a bit more about joy. Excitement, Jesus and excitement. Have you ever thought about the excitement surrounding Jesus at the time when he lived on this earth? Look, for instance, at the calling of the disciples. One day, these ordinary guys were minding their own business, mending their nets, when suddenly, this Jesus turns up and says, follow me, and off they go, just like that. And the lives they led, in terms of the excitement of it all. When I read it again in preparation for this morning, it made me want to be there. It made me want to be part of that adventure and excitement. Just look at what was happening Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and don't forget they were tagging along and being involved in all this, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. Imagine that. doesn't happen every day, does it? Disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread, and people brought to him all that were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. He healed them. And large crowds followed. There was nothing dull about living life around Jesus. It was full of excitement. It was full of excitement. Humour. Jesus and humour. It's funny, you know, when I read, when I read the scriptures again, with looking for humour, there's so much of it there. I wish I had longer to share some, of the, some more of it with you, but I guess that one of the most known uh, images that Jesus used to illustrate his talks, like he used humour to illustrate his talks, um, was the thing about remove the plank from your own eye before you can see the speck in another. It's funny, actually, if you think about it, now I know it's hard when you've heard it for years and years, but actually it's a really good illustration that makes you smile, the first time anyway, or the second time. And even after all this time, it still has its humour, it still has its effect, it's very clear what it means, and there are several of those. There are several examples of that that Jesus used. Um, My particular favourite is the one where Jesus says to the Pharisees who are concentrating on their own importance, you know, that's what they're about, how important they are, and missing out on God's truth. He says to them, uh, he says to them, you, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Well, I think it's pretty funny. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear. So Jesus used humour. He had a sense of humour. Um... And Jesus and compassion, where do we start? 
Where would we start? I mean, we'd need a sermon series, I think, to look in depth at that. Compassion was at his core, and Dave already mentioned that. Um, We see here in Matthew 9 that when he saw the crowds, strangers, they weren't people he knew, but he knew they were in strife. They knew they were, he knew they were lost, and he had compassion on them. I'm going to come back to compassion in a little while. Again, Jesus and sorrow. Sorrow so deep. He looked down at Jerusalem. He looked down at that city which had not recognized him and knew the pain they would face because of that. He felt the sorrow and he wept as he looked over the city. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And of course, as Jesus approached the time of his crucifixion in the garden, before he was taken away to be crucified, he spoke to his disciples of his sorrow. And here you have the words, and Dave read them earlier. But note here that not only did he feel such depth of sorrow and was overtaken with grief, he also talked about it. He talked to his friends about the sorrow he was feeling. That's often something that's not really considered very manly today, isn't it? How many of you guys are comfortable talking about your feelings, I wonder? Jesus did, even if at that time when he was so full of, of depth of sorrow. Anger. We know that Jesus overturned the tables in the temple and took control, throwing out the money changers. It was very clear to everyone there that he was anger, angry by his actions, how he spoke, what he said to the people there. He was really angry. It wasn't some quiet, seething, mysterious anger. No, it was right out there, right in their face, changing things, putting them right, that he had righteous anger about. So, there we are. That's my quick whistle-stop tour of Jesus' emotions. I haven't done it justice, but I do hope I've given you a glimpse into the man who was certainly emotional, certainly expressed his emotion appropriately and acted on them, changed the way things were, and used them in his relationship with his Father God and how he would love us too. So, but what does this mean for us today? Well, as we've said, Jesus' emotions were fully engaged. And yet, if we look at the role emotions play in churches, they are very often viewed with great suspicion. I'd say that emotions have been approached with more fear than celebration in churches. I would even say, especially perhaps in Baptist churches and nonconformist churches, maybe over the last few years, often churches um, who we think of as traditional or respectable you know, positive words, I guess, are emotion-free zones. Emotional services, perhaps where emotions have been on display and um, are dismissed as shallow or frivolous sometimes. What we want, we hear, is good, solid teaching. And the two are often seen as mutually exclusive. We're given the choice between good, solid, Bible-based teaching or an emotional experience which is often coupled with some kind of fluffy kind of view of the Holy Spirit. And yet the opposite is true. This is such a falsehood. It's wrong. Spiritual growth through studying God's word through the Bible and emotional engagement are interdependent. They're not separate things at all. 
If we fail to accept and act on it, we are missing out. I'm going to say that again because that's kind of really key to what I'm saying this morning. Spiritual growth through studying God's word through the Bible and emotional engagement are interdependent. They depend on each other. If we fail to accept and act on that, we are missing out. We need both. We need teaching. We need emotion. We need intellectual engagement and we need emotional engagement. As we grow in our relationship with God, our emotions become more attuned to his heart if we allow it. But of course, we can resist it if we choose. In Romans 8, uh, Romans 8 describes life in the spirit. Go back and read it again if, you, if, you, if, if you're interested in, following, in taking this further today. Um, this, it talks of this, how the spirit of God lives in you, casting out fear, enabling us to know and love God at a deeper level. As we know him more, our emotions become more attuned. As our relationship with God deepens, so does our joy. I said I was going to come back to joy. The joy spoken of in this verse here, um, in Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. In fact, my observation is that joy in our lives is a bit of a litmus test of our spiritual growth and maturity in this area. Love is what we're made for, and when we love God, we come to know more and more joy, inexpressible joy. I'm not talking about that sort of sickly, sticky, smiley kind of feeling. I'm talking about a solid sense of peace at the core of our being. Let's seek it, hunger after it, since it's promised to us if we love God. Some of you might be thinking, I guess, I've never felt joy like that, or I've only known brief glimpses. How do I get it? How do I get and experience joy like that? By surrendering ourselves to God, by surrendering all of us, every bit of us, including our emotions, to God, the joy will come. John Stott sums this up well. He says, joy and peace are not suitable goals to pursue. It's no good pursuing them. They are byproducts of love. God gives them to us when we pursue, not when we pursue them, but when we pursue him and others in love. One of the ways we pursue God is through preaching, is listening to preaching, I hope, and studying the Bible. And, um, we see an example of this and how it relates to emotions. When we, see, when we consider the meeting of Jesus on the, the Emmaus Road with the disciples on Easter Day, they, I don't know if you, if, if you remember that um, Jesus was, uh, he was, he was walking with them on the road. They didn't recognize it was him. They were reading the scriptures to, to, they were exploring the scriptures together. Jesus was talking to them about the Bible and they didn't know it was him at the time. But when they talked about it afterwards, they said this to each other. They said, were, were not our hearts burning within while we ta- he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It was when Jesus talked of his, the word and the scripture that they felt a burning within. They felt a nudge of that joy. Their emotions were engaged. 
And yet often we behave in church as if deep theology and emotions are mutually exclusive, when actually the opposite is true. Deep appreciation of God's love for us brings joy, tuned tuned and appropriate emotion and motivation. Bishop Handley Mool, who was Bishop of Durham at the end of the 19th century, summed this up, I think, quite well. He says, Beware equally of undevotional theology, mind without heart, and of an untheological devotion, heart without mind. We need both if we're really going to know him in the depths of our soul. So, we've said lots of positive stuff about emotions, but they do need to be handled with care because they can lead us astray. For the last year, my 21-year-old daughter, Alice, has been in Canada on a gap year for a whole year. Can you imagine? She's been away. Um, I was so looking forward to having her back home last week. In fact, if you've you've talked to me at all over the past six weeks, I've probably told you all about it because I've been quite a bore. Um, I've been counting down the weeks and then the days. Um, So there was such a big build-up till last Wednesday when when she was due to fly in. Margaret Smith helped me make huge banners for her and her boyfriend, Scott, to wave as they came through the uh, arrivals gate. Um, And there was great excitement. We waited and waited. We looked down as far as we could see into the arrivals gate um, to see any female with dark hair and and handsome blonde man. We were peering down to, um, to see... To see if we could spot them. And then they came, they came through, they were, came running towards us, and there she was in my arms. That moment I'd been anticipating for so long. And you know what I did? You do, don't you? I cried. I cried, I really quite, you know, I was surprised at the depth of the cry, actually. My shoulders were going, it was quite a sob, really. How weird is that? So our emotions, you know, we don't always get it right, do we? I was quite overwhelmed. But more seriously, something which is clearly wrong can also see, feel so right. We have to measure our emotions and our motives against the Bible. Most of our emotions and reactions are as old as the hills, unchanged since Bible times. What was it that motivated David when he turned his eyes and his emotions to Bathsheba? It probably felt so right, and yet his adultery with her was wrong. Emotionally, he was engaged and allowed himself to be overcome. But it's clear, isn't it, that emotions can be engaged. But so emotions should be engaged, not feared or suppressed. But they do need to be measured against the Bible. We can't just act on them blindly. We can't blindly follow emotions. Pearl Buck says, um, you cannot make yourself feel something you do not feel. I think we'd agree with that. But you can make yourself do right in spite of your feelings. And sometimes we have to act in spite of our feelings, don't we? And check it out with the scripture. Something else uh, about emotions is that they can motivate us into action in a very positive sense. In these verses in in John about uh, the tomb of Lazarus, which Anna read to us earlier, um, we see Jesus approaching the tomb of Lazarus. 
He faces the death of his friend. And here, in facing the death of his friend, he is facing one of the most powerful evidences of Satan's power on earth. And he is moved with anger and indignation. We read in the language in the NIV, it says, he was deeply moved. But the Greek word that was used here actually means, uh, says that he snorted. It's a really strong word that was used to say anger. It really was about anger. Kelvin says that his anger rose and he, as he faced death's violent tyranny. He was angry. But also as he approached the tomb, we're told of his second emotional response at that moment. Sorrow and compassion. Jesus wept tears of sympathy for the bereaved sisters. And then what? He felt anger, he felt sorrow, and then what? He was moved to action and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Surely, if we had this emotional thing sussed, we would be more like this. Deep compassion moving us to action against the terrible wickedness and greed of evil in this world. Surely, we should be moved by compassion into action. The greed of the drug pushers at the expense of the weak, unjust dictators, pornographers, wicked crime against children, the poor, the hungry, street children abandoned by their parents, tortured prisoners, the lonely, the isolated, the starving, those who have never heard the gospel. But where is our compassion, our outrage resulting in practical action? Where is it? Surely if we've got this emotional thing sussed, we would be driven more to action than we are. Surely. I suspect um, that some of you, even some of you who have been Christians for a very long time, um, find... Some some of what I've said a great mystery this morning. It may be that your uh, emotions are rarely moved. Maybe that you don't feel much emotion. Or it may be, I suppose, that your emotions overrule you, take over, and you can't control them. At all sorts, we we sometimes are ruled by our, our emotions. For example, it is common... For some people, for people, including Christians, to feel an overwhelming sense, for example, of inadequacy or self, lack of self-worth. People talk of being uh, afraid of being found out that they're not any good, really, that they feel useless, that they live a life where, which is kind of on the surface, and they don't really feel any depth of emotion. An emotion like that can cloud our emotional health to such an extent that the joy I've spoken of is buried and not felt. They don't know that joy because it's so deeply buried beneath the pain. The good news is that those emotions can be overcome. Jesus speaks of proclaiming prisoners, freedom for prisoners and releasing the oppressed. And you've heard lots of stories recently of people who've had prayer ministry here in Burlington. And in prayer ministry, God sets people free from emotions which have held them for a very long time. Often deep sorrow or shame for something they've done in the past or has been done to them. Pain like that can often result in people's uh, emotional reactions being um, oppressed 
and distorted so that they're unable to love themselves or to love God as he intended. And through prayer ministry is one of the ways that God breaks through. But it takes courage, you know. It takes courage to address these things. It's tough stuff. There's nothing fluffy about it. But time and again, we see great freedom as people blossom, emotionally finding new depths of love for themselves and others. Joy grows, peace grows, and confidence deepens. But of course, God works in people's lives like that, not only through prayer ministry. He works, he works in all sorts of ways, changing us and healing us, doesn't he? And someone was in my kitchen only last week, and she's given me permission to tell you about it. She was saying that she knew she wasn't wanted as a child. She, didn't, she felt unvalued. She didn't know that she was loved for a very long time. And yet God spoke to her, and she was, she was uh, led to read Psalm 139 every day. I recommend it to you. 139 every day. A good dose of that. It's good for all of us. And she found that as she read it and took it into her heart, that God changed her. He broke through that hardness and that pain which had told her for so long that she wasn't lovable and she knew at the depths of her being that God loved her and it gave her a firm place to stand and a whole new perspective on emotion and relationship with God. So we need to ask him to heal us in those areas where we need it and we feel cold. In conclusion, I suppose, for me, the, get the verse that sums this all up rather well, our emotional health and spiritual growth, is in Galatians, where it talks of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, an emotional harvest of stability. As we grow in the Spirit, we will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thankfully, Against such there is no law, but there is deep joy, deep meaning in life, deeper relationship with God if we embrace it, if we allow our emotions to behave as God intended. Finally then, how is your emotional health and your spiritual health? We can't divorce the two Are your emotions appropriately engaged in everyday life, enhancing your life and the lives of those around you? Or are they out of control, displayed inappropriately, controlling you? Or are they non-existent? Do you not really get it, the emotional thing? So, I'll come back to the question I asked at the start. When did you really laugh from the depths of your being, welling up from the centre of you? Or perhaps now, I'll exchange that for a deeper question, another question. Do you know inexpressible and glorious joy at the core of your being? Because it's ours if we follow the master of emotions, Jesus and allow him to change us into the people he longs for us to be. Let's pray. Father God, we just lift ourselves before you, just as we are. Some of us 
well, we think we've got this emotional thing sussed. We know you, we know something of your joy, but there's always more. There's always more to know. And some of us don't know much about emotion at all. We feel cold, don't really understand compassion, certainly haven't got much of a glimpse of joy. Father, show us how to reach out to you and allow you to break in and pour in your joy and your peace. Show us how to reach out and break through to you in that way, as we know you long to do. And where our emotions overtake us and are just too much for us, show us how to reach out and give them to you and to allow you to control them. Teach us about this emotional thing that we might harness the power of our emotions to your glory, changing our lives that we might be part of changing the lives of others and bringing glory to you. As part of our response, let's sing uh, as a prayer, I guess, this next song. Your love, shining like the sun, pouring like the rain, raging like the storm. Oh Jesus, I receive your love. The words of this song, if you, if you sing them as a prayer, are all about saying, God, break into my life, pour in your, your understanding of emotions, allow me to break through and to know you in my life. Please stand, your love shining like the sun.